Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Our Father, uh, thank you for your covenantal faithfulness. Um, we pray that uh, your word would go forth to encourage your people, O oh God, um, to build up and edify your, your community, O oh God. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, uh, little Johnny is called to the desk by the teacher, Mr. Smith. Johnny, I think you were looking on your neighbor Susie's history test. No, 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 I didn't cheat. All right, well, uh, let's look at question one. It said, who was our first president? Susie put George Washington, and you put George Washington. And Johnny says, yeah, yeah, but, but, but everybody knows that. He's the first, first president. Okay, well, question two says, who wrote the Emancipation Proclamation? And Susie put Abraham Lincoln, and you put Abraham Lincoln. How did you know about that? He's like, yeah, yeah, well, my, my dad took me to see the, the Lincoln movie, and, and, and I learned about it that way. Okay, well, Mr. Smith says, okay, well, this question three says, which president made the Louisiana Purchase? And Susie wrote, I don't know. And you wrote, me neither. I believe we have an innate sense of fairness in us sense that some actions are right and some actions are wrong. And the, the cheating and, and deception and lying, these are wrong. They're innately wrong. And we're deeply disappointed by our, our heroes, like our sports heroes, uh, when it surfaces that they have been cheating the system. These moral failings, they're not easy to bounce back from. And so we come to the Parsha where we are introduced to Yaakov, Jacob. This is a troubling and troubled character. His very name means he supplants, right? Do we all know what supplants means? We, we use it every day, right? This guy's supplanting me, no? Well, good thing I looked it up. So this, it means to supersede or to, uh, to supersede someone else, to move beyond them, especially by force or treachery, force or treachery. That doesn't sound very good, does it? Over the years, in Jewish tradition, we try, we try to find ways to, uh, to uh, redeem Jacob, to portray him as this uh, worthy and righteous guy, because he's our, our forefather. He is, after all, the patriarch where we get our very name, Israel. That was Jacob's other name was Israel. So the Israelites in, in, in the scripture in Hebrew are B'nai Yisrael. Literally means the children of Israel, the children of Jacob. And so at the same time, uh, when we try to say that Jacob was this great guy, we try to say that Esau was bad, right? Uh, so uh, in our, we like to do this in our origin stories, right? In our, in our movies, we want to know um, who is good and who is bad, like our superhero movies, right? They don't have a lot of ambiguous characters, right? 
And the heroes, you know, they might be flawed a little bit, but we, there's, there's clear, there's, this one is good, right? He's the one trying to save all the people, and this one is bad. If you ever go to a, a movie with a, a, a child, that's what they want to know, right? Which, which one is the bad guy? Okay, that's, this is the bad guy, right? Make sense? And so, and then, but then we, we, have, we have Jacob, right? Jacob, he wrestled with the angel. So I think we have to wrestle with Jacob. Amen? We got to figure this out. Our tradition has wrestled with this character and trying to delineate Jacob and Esau along these lines of one is good, Jacob is good, and Esau is bad. And this is a quote uh, from Chabad uh, in uh, the uh, traditional Orthodox uh, Jewish tradition, and it sums up this, this kind of view. So this is the quote. Jacob and Esau are prototypes for two kinds of souls, each with a distinct role to play in the fulfillment of the divine purpose in creation. Maimonides, uh, an, uh, a very, uh, um, one of our rabbis, calls these two spiritual types the perfectly pious and the one who conquers his inclinations. Rabbi Schnur Zalman refers to them as a tzaddik, which is a, a, the righteous one, and the benoni, which is like the animal nature. So we see Esau was kind of like this animal, animalistic guy, and, and, and Jacob was this righteous guy, okay? And uh, so that's the end of that, that quote. So why do we want Jacob to be good and Esau to be bad? Well, Jacob, as I said, is our forefather. He's the, the chosen one, right? The one through whom all the promises to Abraham are fulfilled. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one who gives us our name, our very identity as Israel, like I said before. And also, we know that it's, it's easier to delineate people into uh, archetypes or stereotypes as good and bad. It's easier right? But is it faithful to the text? Is it faithful to reality, right? Superhero movies, they're not the same as real life, amen? Okay? And, and the Genesis narrative is, is very real in this way. It does not spare us from the flaws of our patriarchs and our matriarchs. They're, they're in there. I mean, Abraham, he made a few missteps, right? But he was ultimately pretty, pretty righteous, pretty good guy. And uh, he, was, he was obedient and he trusted God. And Isaac, as far as we know, was, it was equally righteous. He had a, a couple missteps as well. But uh, a lot of interpreters will put the, the age of Isaac when he was nearly sacrificed at a, in his late teens or early adulthood, which means he... Uh, he knew what was going on, and he trusted God, and he trusted his father, Abraham. So he was a pretty righteous guy. And then we come to Jacob, Yaakov. What do we do with this guy, this conniver, this deceiver? What is the real message here? What's the real lesson? So let's, let's look at um, Jacob's story here, and this is in Genesis 25, verses 19 through 23, and this is what we find. Here is the story of Yitzchak, or Isaac, Avraham's son. Avraham fathered Yitzchak. Yitzchak was 40, year old, 40 years old when he took Rivka, the daughter of Betuel, the Arami, from Padan Aram, and the sister of Levan the Arami, to be his wife. 
Yitzhak prayed to Adonai on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Adonai heeded his prayer and Rivka became pregnant. The children fought with each other inside her so much that she said, if it's going to be like this, why go on living? So she went to inquire of Adonai, who answered her, there are two nations in your womb. From birth, they will be two rival peoples. One of these peoples will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger, right? So God's covenant promise to Abraham to mediate blessing through his descendants has come down to this third generation. Rebecca is barren, just like her mother-in-law, Sarah, was, right? But God responds through faithfulness, and she has twins. And the struggling between the brothers, it starts in utero, right? It's, it's already happening. What's going on here? And the answer comes back, well, there's two nations. They're struggling, and they're, they're going to be rivals, and they will struggle against one another all their lives, just like they're doing right now. But the older will serve the younger. And this is one of the themes that runs throughout Scripture. It's, it's called Divine Reversal by Rabbi Russ Resnick. God's economy is such that he disrupts the expected power dynamic, okay? In the ancient world, it was assumed, and I think a little bit today, that the older brother, right, the older son has certain privileges, right? Anyone who's had an older brother, right, will probably tell you the same. Anyone, anyone with an older brother, right, do they... Do they pick on you? Yes? Okay. Well, that's, that's the natural order of things, I guess. But uh, this is disrupted in the, in the, in the patriarchs in, in Genesis. Esau is servant to Jacob, even though he's older, if by only a few minutes. Joseph and Judah, they are blessed with leadership, right? Even though they're younger than Reuben. Isaac is chosen instead of Ishmael. Ishmael was born first. Even, uh, even later, if you look at uh, the story of King David, he's the youngest. He's the scruffiest of his family. And when his father, Jesse, is presenting all his sons, it's kind of like he's kind of an afterthought. He's like, uh, oh yeah, I, I, well, there's this, uh, there's this little guy. He's out with the sheep. But yeah, I guess I do have another son, you know, if you're looking for the next king. And it turns out to be David. So right off the bat, we know where we stand with Jacob and Esau. Their fates, it seems, are sealed. They have to struggle with one another. Excuse me. And the younger one is going to prevail. And perhaps this is the lesson of Jacob. After all, the younger overtaking the older, the weak overtaking the strong, David against Goliath. This is a theme throughout Scripture. And so Esau, in this sense seems destined. He's going to lose his birthright, which in the ancient world was the right of the firstborn's inheritance. And this is how it plays out. So Esau comes in from the field, and he's exhausted, and he's famished. And I think he was probably hangry. Raise your hand if you know what this is right? You're hungry and angry at the same time. This is not the best place to be, right? I think uh, if you ask my wife, she probably knows when I get hangry. Okay, so this is what Esau, uh, what the state that he was in, 
And when, when someone is hangry, they let their hunger and they let their emotions rule over them. This is uh, Esau's flaw. And so this is the way Esau has traditionally been seen. He lets his baser instincts rule over him rather than his deeper values, like Jacob. So Jacob had made this nice red stew of lentils. Mmm, sounds good, right? And Jacob says, okay, you can have some, but you have to give me your birthright, your inheritance as the firstborn son. And Esau, he's in a hangry state, remember? So he says, please, I'm about to die from hunger. Whatever you say, I'll give you anything. Just give me some of those lentils. Okay, and then we have the commentary from, from the text in Genesis 25, 34. It says, thus Esav, or Esau, showed how little he valued his birthright. Nothing is said about Jacob's little maneuver here, but we do understand what, what, what Esau was, was going on with him. So apparently, there's no, there's no immediate consequence for Jacob. But no matter how you slice it, He's not very sympathetic here, is he? The picture of, of, of Jacob, the good, is starting to fade, right? And it's not going to get any better. So the next episode between the brothers is in chapter 27. And Isaac has grown old, and he can't see very well. And he asks Esau to go hunting and bring him something nice to eat so that he can bless him. And Rebecca hears of it, and she tells Jacob to disguise himself as Esau, to get his clothes and uh, to put on things so he'll smell like him, and to get the blessing, to get the blessing instead of Esau. And he does this. He's like, oh, that sounds like a good plan. And this is the blessing that Jacob gets instead of Esau from his father Isaac in, uh, in Genesis 27, verses 27 through 29. So he approached and kissed him. Yitzhak smelled his clothes, remember he's wearing Esau's clothes, and blessed Yaakov with these words, see my son smells like a field which Adonai has blessed. May God give you dew from heaven, the richness of the earth, and grain and wine in abundance. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. May you be Lord over your kinsmen. Let your mother's descendants bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and here's the the important part, blessed be everyone who blesses you, right? Of course, this is a continuation of something. This is the blessing and calling of Avraham, his grandfather. It's passed on to Isaac, and now it's passed on to Jacob. But then Esau returns, and he finds that his blessing along with his earlier birthright, they've both been taken by Jacob, his younger brother. So did Esau deserve this fate because, just because of his baser instincts? Well, it's a good question, right? This is what the author of Hebrews has to say um, about this episode. This is in Hebrews 12, verses 15 through 17. See to it that no one misses out on God's grace, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and thus contaminates many, and that no one is sexually immoral or, what does it say? Godless like Esav, godless like Esau, who in exchange for a single meal gave up his rights as the firstborn. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to obtain his father's blessing, he was 
rejected. Even though he sought it with tears, his change of heart was to no avail. So it seems that Jacob is good only by comparison, right? As if they were archetypes. He's not a saint, but at least he's not like that godless Esau. So perhaps the lesson is, be more like Jacob than like Esau. Jacob, what's good about him is that he values his birthright. He values the spiritual inheritance of Abraham, as opposed to Esau, who values lentils, we could say, right? Not, 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 not quite the same. So, so far we have two possible lessons here. God reverses our expectations and uh, uses the weak, the underdog, to overcome the strong. It's certainly in the, in the text. And another lesson um, is that we, like Jacob, we should value uh, the more important things, perhaps the more spiritual over the material. We should value our birthright inheritance over lentils, for example. Yeshua the Messiah even echoes this idea in the uh, Torah from the Mount. This is in Matthew 6, and he tells us not to focus on what we would eat or drink or wear, but on what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? But this doesn't quite solve the problem of Jacob, does it? These are good lessons, but the way in which Jacob treats his brother, the way that he gets the blessing, this is, this is clearly cheating, right? Just like the, the, the opening joke, this is wrong. How can we take our identity from this man? In the scriptures, God himself is known as the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. So not only is our identity tied to Jacob, but God God's identity is tied, linked to Jacob. So perhaps we need to look at the ministry and the teaching of Yeshua to help us untangle the problem of Jacob. So a little bit later on, um, Jacob bows down and he humbles himself before Esau. This is in a later Parsha, and they reconcile. Jacob is in repentance. He is bowed down. Likewise, we see Yeshua the Messiah, he bent down and humbled himself, and he washed his students' feet, even washed Judas's feet, the one who betrayed him, right? Near the end of his life, we look at Jacob, his struggling with his brother, it's reenacted in the next generation because it's never quite solved. His, he has a favorite son, right? Just like uh, Jacob was the favorite of his mother. Now he has a favorite, right? This is why we don't, we don't, you shouldn't have favorites, right? If you're a parent, right? It, did, did, that, did that happen to anybody? They felt like the other one was the favorite? Yes? Okay, that's not good, right? All right? So we, we see the, the problems with that. Okay, but it's played out generationally here. So his favorite, Joseph, uh, his, is left for dead by his brothers because the older brothers are jealous. And Jacob goes through a lot because of this, right? He goes through, he thinks that he loses Joseph, and he goes through a lot of difficulty, and he almost loses Benjamin as well. And so at the end, uh, near the end of his life, Jacob comes before Pharaoh. This is a, a good Pharaoh, and this is the one who raised up Joseph to be prime minister. And uh, they have an exchange. 
And this is what it says in Genesis 47, 7 through 10. Then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, Yaakov, in and presented him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they, they, they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Now, maybe it seems like a minor detail, but there's something mentioned twice here. What's mentioned twice? Jacob blessed Pharaoh, right? And that draws our attention to it. Um, and the principle in Scripture is that the greater person, the one in authority, is the one who gives blessing, right? Jacob is blessed by Isaac, his father. And Jacob, in turn, blesses Pharaoh. He's like a father to Pharaoh, in a sense. But how could this man, who's he's had few and difficult years on the earth, who's a conniver, how could he somehow be greater than Pharaoh? Well, if we step back and we look at the larger picture, we know Israel is called to be a blessing to the nations. And this was the charge. This was the purpose uh, of Abraham, and it continues until today. And we see the namesake of Israel, Jacob. He's blessing the king of the mightiest nation in the known ancient world. This is, this is a big deal. And, but God's kingdom gives authority differently than earthly kingdoms. So what kind of authority would a man have if he has no earthly kingdom? Well, perhaps a man who suffers, whose days are few and difficult, a man who brings blessing to all the nations of the earth with a different kind of authority, authority of a heavenly kingship. And I think this describes the ministry of the suffering servant, Yeshua the Messiah. So perhaps we can say that the lesson of Jacob is that he points us to the kingdom of God in Yeshua. Another way to think about this is to, to step back, to step back and see what God is doing in this narrative. The God of Jacob, revealed through Yeshua, is covenantally faithful, despite, despite the character flaws of Jacob. And the God of Jacob is faithful to Jacob and his descendants most fully through Yeshua, the Messiah. Yeshua, therefore, he represents Jacob, and he represents the kingdom of God. He is patient and faithful to Israel in his ministry. He teaches Torah. Yeshua, he heals. He has a long-suffering with his students. He is the favored son, Yeshua. And he completes these promises to Abraham, and he is totally faithful and humble. The problem of Jacob's character can only be solved by looking at the faithfulness of God, I think, through Yeshua. Blessed are the underdogs. This is what Yeshua taught us. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble, the weak. And this describes Jacob. But Yeshua also said, blessed are the humble, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the pure in heart. And this is perhaps who Jacob eventually became through what he suffered, through his story. The main character 
of the narrative of Jacob, I don't think it's Jacob. I think the main character of this story is God. Look how God brought Jacob through and continues to be faithful to the children of Jacob, to the Jewish people. The story of Jacob is ultimately a story of God's faithfulness, which is fulfilled and brought to fullness in the ministry of Yeshua. In Yeshua, God uses the underdog and the weak, but not not so that we have to triumph over our brother like Jacob in order to get the blessing. What do we do? What is the lesson? God's faithfulness to Jacob should motivate us to be humble. God's goodness should compel us to seek the good of our brother. The problem is that Esau, he was, he was like a stepping stone to Jacob. He was a means to an end. But Yeshua corrected this, and he modeled it by humility and faithfulness. And so, how is God calling us to be humble and faithful? How do we see our brother and our sister, right? And I don't just mean our literal brother and sister, but we're all children of God in a sense, right? So everyone that we meet is, is, a, is a potential brother or sister. How do we see our neighbors? Who is greatest in the kingdom of God? The greatest is the servant, the humble, the one who gives. Who is honored in the kingdom? The one who honors, the one who serves others out of gratitude for God's faithfulness. The kingdom of God is actually quite simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. God loves us faithfully, so we should love others faithfully. As Yeshua the Messiah taught and modeled, may God transform us by his love so that we can love our brother. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's pray. Abba, I thank you that you are faithful and that you are loving, and I pray that um, you would help us to be like Jacob in the good ways, and, um, but help us even more to be like Yeshua, um, who was humble, who uh, was a servant leader, and uh, who um, blessed and prayed for even his enemies, O oh God, and was forgiving and humble, and uh, that we would um, bring your love and your kingdom on the earth in, in the communities where you've placed us, O oh God. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Um, please rise as you're able for the uh, ironic blessing, and I think we're going to do the Kiddush uh, downstairs. Is that right? <laughs>